We care about our land more than somebody down in Ottawa. A land code puts the First Nation into the power of government. The biggest point for me is your ability to protect your reserves lands. Former chief of our community had the vision to sign uh, and the guts to sign that framework agreement. Business at the pace of business. The good thing about land code, we don't have to sell it. It sells itself. And I welcome Chief McLeod to the podcast. Welcome, sir. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Good to be here. Yeah, great to meet you. That was uh, quite a talk you were giving this morning regarding Nipissing and concerns you have over the enforcement of environmental laws. What was it you wanted to bring to the crowd here? Well, um, I think I think the biggest uh, you know message or information that I wanted to share with with the crowd that was here because it's all First Nations that are at various levels of, uh, you know, creating laws and, uh, doing those kinds of things within their, their nations is, is to share, you know, some of the best practices because Nipissing, um, you know, we're, we're well advanced in a lot of areas and, uh, lawmaking, particularly, uh, in environment and, uh, natural resources. So we've, uh, made some, some huge, um, progress in, in the last, uh, decades. So um, it was really just to, you know, talk about uh, our situation and hopefully offer up some thoughts to other First Nations on how they can do uh, their development and uh, just best practices kind of thing. What were some of the challenges that you've had to deal with over recent years? Well, there's, there's so many challenges and, and those a lot of those challenges are ongoing. And uh, you know, because uh, of uh, you know our nation, uh, just like many other nations, have have been really disrupted through the process of colonization. You know, trying to find our way back to being uh, having that jurisdiction to create those laws and follow those laws is 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 so far back in history now because we're talking you know almost 160 years of. Uh, you know, dominance uh, from from the colonial government that uh, it's hard to uh, recognize what things looked like back then and, and how do we get there. Untangle a lot of the things that are suppressing us that uh, have been created right from the Indian Act uh, onward. So, you know, and the challenges are, uh, you know, once we're free of, uh, you know, the colonial uh, sets of laws, you know, it's hard to convince people that have been oppressed for so long to now go under this law when they just want freedom, right, of, of that law. So, you know, the, the attitude a lot of times is, well, now that they can, you know, can't stop me anymore, I, I can do whatever I want, right? So now you have to try and bring them back and say, no, that, that's not what it means. What it means, self-governance, self-government, it means that we don't follow their laws, we follow our laws, not free of any law. Right, so that transition is is pretty tricky. Um, you know, once uh, uh, our band members, uh, you know, get a taste of that freedom, uh, you have to educate people on on rights and and what rights mean and uh, how individual rights compare to collective rights of of uh, you know the nation and how we have to balance that. So there's there you know and that's a constant a constant struggle, right? Uh, whether it's change in leadership and people thinking, you know, there's a, a crack in the dam that they can go back and and so to be able to to carry that 
you know, that governance mentality through changes uh, is challenging. But then there's also outside pressures from the settlers that create pressures on on us trying to govern, uh, for example, natural resources. If um, we say that, you know, we have to stop, uh, whether it be commercial fishing or whatever at a certain time, but yet, you know, the non-native uh, sector is is fishing, you know, an extra month. It becomes challenging to try and get our people to follow laws when it doesn't seem to be the same on the other side. So, and, and I'm sure that that goes both ways, right? Uh, where non-natives are saying, well, I want to fish with a gill net too, right? And and they can't. So it's, it's really, um, you know, the messy part of self-governance that, um, you know, everybody... It's like the dog, you know, chasing the bus. What do you do when you get it and uh, when you catch it? Uh, so, uh, you know, you, but you got to work through those things. Uh, and the alternative to that is is following somebody else's laws and, and rules, which we don't want to go back to. Well, that speaks to what's been happening in eastern Canada, too, around the Aboriginal uh, lobster fishery. Mm, and yeah. the right to earn a moderate livelihood. And uh, yeah, it's it's led to some messy circumstances. It is, and and I've been I've been down uh, to New Brunswick. Uh, uh, I'm not sure if he's the chief now, but Darcy Gray um, invited me, and uh, I went. I actually was on the fishing boats, and I've seen some of that firsthand. And you know, I I I, I kind of chuckled and and I told him, but it was actually uh, I was giving him a piece of advice that he took, and it's like. You know, it's it's so colonial and so racist to to deem that somebody only has uh, uh, a right to a moderate livelihood, right? <laughs> and and meanwhile, you have uh, non First Nation commercial fishing enterprises that uh, uh, you know are are making millions and millions of dollars, if not more. Uh, so you know, it, it's just typical, you know, way of the settlers, you know, telling us what we're entitled to, and 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 it's not as much as them. Well, I can't tell you how many times I've had that conversation with my own relatives as a settler. Who has ever come to us and said, "Well, you're going to go work for government or whatever, but you can only earn a moderate salary." Mm-hmm. Doesn't happen. Yeah, right. It's only what we're entitled to. When when you know and. And it's how you look at things too, right? Because, um, you know, we had everything. We, we were the richest people in this country at one time. Uh, and that doesn't mean we had, you know, six cars in the driveway, but it meant we had everything that we required and more from what the land could give us. So for, for, for a, a foreign government to come in and say and tell us, you know, what we're entitled to is uh, it's kind of silly when you break it down that way. Yeah. I love the anecdote you brought up this morning about, uh, I think it was provincial parkland and the inability of some community members to practice either cultural or spiritual celebration or ceremony on Crown land. What was that all about? <laughs> yeah, well, I, I, I kind of laugh, um, uh, you know, at the term Crown land uh, because that's all part of the assumption of, of um you know, ba- based out of the doctrine of discovery and that there right. was nobody here and it's now the king's land. So the idea, you know, that we can't even be in our, our traditional territories where we've been since time immemorial to practice ceremony or to take from the land is, is just uh, ludicrous. Uh, and, you know, but it, it, it really, 
it really shines a light on the different perspectives of our cultures, right? The European settlement, uh, you know, their culture was derived from the king claiming land and that anything taken out of that land had to be paid for by by the individuals to the king because he owned the deer, he owned the rabbits, he owned the trees. And if you wanted something out of there, uh, that you had to pay the king. But in our culture, everything was provided for you. And the chief of the community or the nation was was not a king. He didn't have the biggest uh, wigwam. He didn't have everything and he didn't own the animals. He didn't own the land and you had to go and pay him for what is really just the fundamental human right of uh, sustenance, right? So, but if you think about it in, in Canada, if you're uh, a conforming uh, non-Indigenous person, you're paying to be on the land. You know, you're paying those property taxes. You're, 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 you're paying to go fishing, to take a fish, to, to eat a fish and stay alive. You need to pay the king, <laughs> you know, whereas that, that, is, that is such a foreign concept to uh, Indigenous culture that you have to pay somebody to, to, to survive, to, to live, to put food in your body. But yet that's the culture of, of the, the Europeans that, that came over. Yeah. That, Do you think it's starting to change, though? I mean, I'm not so sure, but there's so much national discussion now about this, what's become a buzzword, I think, reconciliation, that there seem to be organizations who are going, okay, you know what, I think, uh, I think we need to change our thought process here. Well, I, I think I, I think reconciliation is growing in in the truest sense of reconciliation. It's it's starting to become more, I think, gradually than just the buzzword, which it was at first for sure. But I think as our young people get more educated on on the real history of this country and start to recognizing, you know, recognizing the wrongs that were done and starting to fill those spaces of as adults as they grow and 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 take on these jobs in government and it's slowly changing it's slowly changing where the political appetite to reconcile and to right the wrongs that were done is growing and and I think that change just as in every change you know in 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 the history of the world usually comes from the young people thinking differently than 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 the older generations, right? Uh, you look at any radical, you know, if I can use that term, quote unquote, radical movement in societies in the last, you know, two hundred years has all been driven by young people, right? It's not it's not our, uh, you know, the the older generation out there on the streets, you know, asking for change. So so I think it is coming. It it, it started, and you know, uh, our young children that are, you know, and I, I get I get goosebumps every time I talk about it, but our young residential school children who didn't survive are coming back with the strongest indigenous voice that we've ever ever seen in, in the last you know century to waken uh you know the the eye the eyes the people uh, that are privileged in this country to to shake them up and 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 really show them you know, what, what happened. So I, you know, I have so much respect for those young people that, that passed on that are assisting, you know, leaders like myself 
to to really educate people and and really change the way society looks uh, at indigenous people and and to change the structures and the institutions in this country to be more open to not just indigenous people but to to anybody who's different and and, and I think it's so amazing that you know they they're using their little tiny voices with so much power and uh, it's 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 a good for me it was such a great experience uh, you know to to witness that over the last couple of years it's as sad and and tragic as it is you you have to see the power in that right and and it's it's amazing how much they've done from you know uh, i don't want to call them graves but um you know it's uh it's amazing. Mm. It's amazing. It really is. It's such a beautiful sentiment. Thank you yeah. very much. I appreciate you sharing that. Yeah. Chokes me up every time. Thank you. Stay tuned as we bring you further coverage from the National Conference on the Enforcement of First Nation Laws. Look for updated social media links and website content. I'll put a link in the show notes to the conference website in particular, where you'll find a wealth of resource materials and follow-up information. It's all about finding solutions and taking real steps to restoring Indigenous justice systems. Thank you for continuing to support the Land Decolonized podcast and for sharing it with friends and colleagues. I'm Richard Perry.